Thank you so much. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Chelsea McLaughlin. And I'm Laura Brodnick. And Chelsea, just quickly before we get into today's show, <laughs> I am in a beef with a member of the royal family. Well, an ex-member of the Me royal too. family. Yeah. So if you listen to yesterday's show, we were talking about Prince Harry's new memoir that's coming out next year. We talked about the fact that the date had been moved because of the Queen's death and the royal family apparently knew about it, but there was tension there. And the polite thing then for Prince Harry to do would be to give us a couple of days and then release the cover of, and title of his book so that we could have a bit of space between them and we weren't like repeating ourselves the next day. He didn't do that. He dropped the cover, <laughs> the artwork, everything about the book this morning. Their response has not been great. I don't know if you've seen the online comments about it, but he's staring into the camera. It's mesmerizing. It looks like he's wearing like a leather necklace like Megan gave him in the background. Oh my god. Which is fine. Like who's got a good book cover if you're being pensive? Your description was weirdly kinky, which feels oh. highly inappropriate. Okay, that is a not <laughs> strap around his neck. Laura, I'm gonna need to go see this one. Okay, myself. wow, that is not the vibe I was meaning to put out, but okay, if that's your thing, no judgment. Interestingly the book is called Spare, which some people were like, what does it mean? What is he trying to say or how dare he say that and it's around the fact that Princess Diana when she was going to be the future queen like the one thing was like you have to produce an heir and a spare so two sons this is obviously a going back to the days when like you know the olden days where if the first king died to avoid <laughs> yeah. a civil war house of the dragon style you'd have to bring in the spare so growing up, they were always called the heir and the spare so that's all if you want to have a look at the pensive cover and decide if you think it's Did you say kinky? That's so weird. (laughs) I haven't seen it, so I'm just going off your description. Oh, you haven't seen it? Okay. No, I actively avoid all of this stuff. You know this. Okay. Well, Chelsea, (laughs) for you, I'm going to go put it on the Spill Instagram and you can take a look and see what you think. Speaking of Harrys, we're going to be talking about the other headline-grabbing British Harry, renowned for his hair very soon, Harry Styles. And it is also weekend watch time. We each have two fantastic but very different films to recommend today. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gossip? I want more headlines. In a bit of surprising TV news this morning, it's been confirmed that Girls 5 Ever is moving to Netflix from the rival stream of Peacock for its third season. Obviously, in Australia, it streams here on Stan. So this is a shock, and this has all been reported by Deadline, the TV site. So it's a shock because it's the first original series to move between rival streaming services, and it's produced by Tina Fey, and Deadline is reporting that it was actually cancelled at Peacock, which would make sense because the wait about hearing for season three has been so long, and then Netflix swooped in to save it, which is the thing Netflix does for shows, so that's nice. If you don't know the show, we've talked about it so many times. The first two seasons are on Stan. It's one of our favourites. It's a comedy series with Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Busy Phillips and Paula Pell and they're like a huge girl group like decades ago and then as adults in their 40s they reform for another shot at fame. It's so funny and so original 
And they have been saying for a long time, because I listen to Busy Phillips's podcast every week, it's three hours of her just talking about her feelings, but for some reason <laughs> oh I listen. God. And she has been really stressed about it not being renewed. So the fact that today all of the cast members, plus this news that it was being picked up over on Netflix and that the show was saved was big news. So I guess it's exciting that we're getting a third season for this show. Okay, so at the top of last Friday's show, I said it was a huge week for music. You might remember that. But now, I look, I need to correct myself to broaden that out and say it is a huge month for music. Like, there is just a lot going on. More on that in a second. But first, Laura, we need to talk about a music video that was released today. And it's got everyone talking. You and I both came into our meeting this morning very much like, have you seen this? Yes. Holy shit, what the hell is going on? Like, we were kind of lost for words. I had literally just watched it moments before I logged onto our meeting. And did you tell I was yeah. all flustered when I came on? I didn't know, I didn't know what to think, what to feel, what to say. My whole world had been changed. It's, it's a wild time. So we are talking about Harry Styles' new music video for Music for a Sushi Restaurant, which is the third single off his album Harry's House. Oh boy, where do I even begin in describing this video? Harry is, it's unclear, but I think he's a merman, I think. But he's got tentacles. He's got tentacles. Is he an octopus? Yeah, honestly, ambiguous. He's some kind of sea (laughs) creature. He's basically captured by sushi chefs, I think, who plan to serve him as food. Again, I think it's all kind of ambiguous. You can't go to read between the lines here. But then they realize that Merman Harry can sing. (laughs) And so they turn him into this kind of like diva musician with a tail and have him perform for audiences. Now, I feel like there is a deeper meaning to all of this, but I also just love the surface level, what the fuck nature of it all. Like it is just so weird. Yeah, I love that because I feel like, again, I'm not as knowledgeable about the music industry as you are, but I know that music videos were invented to sell songs, but the way we do that is different now, like with people downloading straight to Spotify and stuff. So I feel like it's not that often where we have music videos that take up headlines like this, unless they're about something like a woman getting nude Mm. and everyone's judging her for it or something like that. We've kind of fallen off having music videos that really capture our imaginations like this one. In saying that, I am just so confused in my soul because I never found Harry Styles like super attractive. Like I find him very entertaining. I find him very cute, cutesy, like a little kid almost. Mm-hmm. I know he's in his 20s now, but I still think of him like I was never into One Direction, but I still think of him as like a little kid. And I feel like he just looks like an impish little, <laughs> a little sprite that darts onto stage and stuff. So cute, but not attractive. But when I saw this video, I'm like, why is this merman tentacle creature the hottest version of him? He's so attractive. Why is that? Is it because he's finally, like, comfortable in his own skin? Is it the beard? I think it's the beard. I think it's the beard. Beard and tentacles separately don't work, but you bring them together (laughs) and they're super, super attractive, don't you think? I feel like we're learning a lot about you as a person. (laughs) I don't understand. I was watching it and I was like, this should be upsetting to me or at least quirky, Mm. but it's just super hot. I don't know why. Beard Harry (laughs) is not my Harry of choice. Oh, really? Nah, I like, I don't know, glittery, like, sequin Harry on stage. That's my Harry. Well, he's, like, kind of more fun to look at, but this is, like, hot (laughs) Harry. Like, this is the Harry that you want (laughs) to make out with. Sorry, Olivia Wilde. This show's off the rails. I've seen quite a few um, daddy comments online, which makes me extremely uncomfortable. But, hey. That's so much worse. (laughs) 
I can't deal with bearded Harry Styles, octopus merman and daddy vibes in there. <laughs> One of those has got to get off the table. It's, it's too much. It's just simply too much for you. Besides the fact that it's batshit crazy, I took it as a commentary on fame because it's like basically saying people fawn over you when you're a star, especially if you can make the money. And then it's represented in the music video. He's performing and then he kind of loses his voice. And that's when they then eat him, I think, is implied. (laughs) It's basically like, as long as you're making people money, you're good. And as soon as you're not, you're dead meat, I think. Reading between the lines, look, I don't know. It might just be him being weird. That's so interesting. I was so caught up in like hot octopus man vibes that I didn't even think (laughs) about the deeper meaning. But you're right. It's so a commentary on fame and being like seen as like a product and being useful and how the world looks at you differently when you're making money or when people are looking at you, like that whole thing about if you're on stage, everyone wants to Mm. be with you, but if you're on the floor with everyone else, you're nothing. Okay, that's a much smarter take. (laughs) It's interesting, again, because as I said, like this is a major time for music. A sentence I never really thought I would get to say is that Rihanna, the musician, is back today as well. Right. So, yeah, I'm completely overwhelmed by the amount of music that is coming out at the moment. By the time this podcast is out, Rihanna's new song called Lift Me Up, which is part of the Black Panther 2 soundtrack, will be out there in the world. It is her first new music in six years. I cannot believe it's been that long. I also just very quickly need to say, because I find it funny, Drake over the weekend announced that him and 21 Savage were going to release a joint album today. And then when Rihanna announced her announcement, Drake's producer has COVID, which conveniently means that his album now has to be pushed a week. And look, that could be all above board, but I'm just saying Drake and Rihanna have an interesting history. Like Drake could get a number one any day of the week, except for the day that Rihanna's coming back after six years. So look, I'm just speculating. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about because this morning in our morning meeting, which I feel we always just refer back to now, but guys, that's where we get the (laughs) ideas going. I was like, Chelsea, please explain to me why this feels like the drop week before the Oscar nominations really heat up. Like, why does it feel like every musician is dropping new songs, new video clips or announcing that content's coming out next week? It feels like it's a lot very quickly. This is a really, really busy time for music I feel like there's two major release periods one is during the northern hemisphere summer like late May through to mid-August kind of period when there's a real appetite and like a prestige around the sound of the summer we'll hear about that quite a lot but this is also the other sort of second time and I think there's three major reasons traditionally major labels would release like the biggest artists work in late September through to mid-November depending on when Thanksgiving falls because it's basically to get ahead of the holiday period right Pre-Christmas, one, traditionally it was to get physical sales in the form of presents and before people have spent their money on other things. It's also to get the music out there before it's drowned out by like Tinsel and Mariah Carey, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) Mariah's coming and she's going to dominate the pop culture landscape as she does every single year. And so now there's kind of less of a pull around physical sales. So you're not getting people buying a CD for their mum for Christmas anymore, but there's still sort of a hangover of the period, I think. Secondly, I think it's down to the Grammys, and I think this is probably similar to the Oscars and how movies are released. So each year, the Grammy cutoff is usually at the end of September. You know, like Drake doesn't care about the Grammys, but Taylor Swift definitely does. And it means that anyone in this year in particular, anyone that's releasing now is not going to be competing in the same Grammys as the next ones, which will have Adele, Kendrick Lamar and Beyonce. Like you do not want to be in a category with those three. 
And then by the time the next period comes around, you're going to have people that have already got awards under their belts, which I'm guessing is quite similar to the Oscars. It just looks good in a voting package, essentially. Is that how the Oscars work as well? Everyone sort of releases around a similar period. Yeah, there's heat parts where you can release to get the best traction for your campaign. So that's interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much for explaining that. I love how we've gone to Sexy Fisherman, (laughs) to the perils of fame, to how musicians battle it out for the Grammys. (laughs) Let's just put the whole video clip up on our Instagram account and you can let us know, hot or not, (laughs) Fishman, are you into it? I finished my work week on my couch, ordered some food. It's time for Weekend Watch. Our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. So this week, I am recommending a movie called The Good Nurse. It was released this week on Netflix, and it is a film based on the 2013 true crime book of the same name about serial killer Charles Cullen. So the film follows Amy, who is played by Jessica Chastain. I'm weirdly obsessed with Jessica Chastain, like I would watch her in anything. She plays a nurse who is working night shifts in the ICU while also struggling with like a life-threatening heart condition and then all of the mess that comes with navigating the American healthcare system without insurance. So that plays out. She's kind of at her limits, both work-wise and personally, but then help arrives when another nurse called Charlie, played by Eddie Redmayne, is hired. They very quickly become friends, both at work and then personally as well. Charlie gets to know about her health condition. He hangs out with her kids. Their lives become intertwined. And then there is a series of mysterious patient deaths at their hospital, which sparks an investigation, and Charlie emerges as the prime suspect. Do you remember Anna Martinez? Yeah, it was sudden. Mind taking a look at this? The insulin in her system, it's a double medication error, which is really rare. We understand that you work with a Charlie Cullen. Could he be involved in this? So from there, it becomes really, really gripping because Amy becomes determined to figure out the truth. And this puts herself at risk and also her family. What really carried the film for me is just like the power of Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain. Like those two are phenomenal. I mean, it's not news. They're both Oscar winners, but they're so, so good in this. I am not usually a true crime gal. Like it's not really something I'm typically drawn to, but I think this is one of the best true crime depictions that I've seen because it's not gory or glamorous and it doesn't feel kind of, you know how they can quite often cross that line into feeling a little bit exploitative or kind of like sexing up something that's true and horrible. Yeah. It also delves into like the really systemic failures of hospitals and the American healthcare system that allowed this guy to do this and I think that is a level of depth and interrogation that elevates it above your average true crime story its runtime is two hours pretty much on the dot so it makes a great Friday Saturday night movie night it is called The Good Nurse it is out now on Netflix Okay, well, I'm also recommending a movie, but mine, you have to go old school to the cinema up on the big screen. It's not like an old lady, but it feels like it's been a while since we got to do that. So I'm recommending Bros, which is a new comedy that just came out in Australia yesterday. It's been billed as the first gay romantic comedy released by a big major studio, which I know there was a bit of back and forth around a lot of other movies who also have same-sex relationships being either at the movies or released on streaming services, but it just comes down to it being 
being a main studio release and a romantic comedy. Bit technical. Either way, there's not enough movies like this on the big screen, so we're very happy to see it. So Bros is written, directed, executive produced and stars Billy Eichner, who is a comedian. I'm sure a lot of people would know him from his Billy on the Street and all those sort of things. He plays a podcast host, but, you know, a very fancy podcast host, not like us, Chelsea, (laughs) and writer who's living in New York City. He's a gay man. All of his friends are coupling up and starting to have kids. And his whole thing is like, I'm going to remain single. You know, he's on the dating apps. He's having wild, sexy hookups and no second dates. And then he meets just completely ripped lawyer. That's the only way to describe him called Aaron, (laughs) played by Luke McFarlane, who if you ever watched Brothers and Sisters, it's Scotty from Brothers and Sisters. I love that show so much. And they initially like opposites attract because he's this buff lawyer. Bobby is this kind of slightly nerdy podcast host. Bobby thinks that Aaron is hot but boring and stupid, but they just <laughs> kind of come together. It's like it's the best kind of love story. You know, it's complete opposites. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't think they were together, but they just somehow start falling in love because there's such a good spark between them. I don't think I'm his type. He's like gay Tom Brady. What are you into? One of these ripped idiots with no opinions? No, I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. So a lot of people saw it, I think, in the news, like when it was first announced, there was a lot of fanfare around it. And also when it came out in the US a few weeks ago, it didn't perform as well at the box office as some people had thought. And as we know, the box office at the moment is very volatile. Like there's really no way to predict what's going to do well and what's not. And in response to that, Billy Eichner tweeted, even with glowing reviews, great Rotten Tomato scores, an A cinema score, etc., straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up for bros. And that's disappointing, but it is what it is. And that kind of blew up into this whole thing about people discussing who gets to tell stories and why this movie stood out and who showed up to see it. It was this whole huge thing. But I do think it overshadowed the fact that this is also just a very fun romantic movie. I don't know if you saw that blowing up at the time. His line throughout sort of the promotion was that it's the first major gay theatre release, which is technically correct, but there was a lot of discussion on the, at the time about it, that line sort of potentially erasing or downplaying success of previous films. And so I just found this entire release really, really interesting. I'm actually so excited to see this film. It looks so up my alley. Oh, you would really love it. There's so many like big laugh out moments. Also, everyone in the principal cast is LGBTQ+, which is also interesting. And that's a major theme of the movie. So that was just all a lead in to say when Billy Eichner <laughs> and Luke McFarlane came to Australia recently to launch the movie with such a fun night. They were on the red carpet with the cast of Drag Race Australia. It was such a good vibe. I sat down to talk to them about the movie. If you're wondering why I didn't bring up the contract controversy around the Twitter thing. It's because I thought it was more important to focus on the movie and not make it controversial because no matter how you cut it, we don't have big studio releases mm-hmm. with same-sex love stories, especially that are kind of old school romantic movies set in New York with like a classic love story. So we didn't get into that, but just wanted to give you a bit of background. But here is Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane, star of the new comedy Bros. So much of a good rom-com really hinges on the chemistry between the leads and your chemistry was amazing. So I'm interested in how you brought that to life while you were filming and maybe the most interesting thing that you learned about each other all those long days on set. Uh Well, I mean, we got to know each other uh, while we filmed. We did not know each other before. 
I think one of the interesting things is a conversation that we had actually ended up in the movie. Oh, yes. really? I asked him what type of music he listens to, and he said he listens to country music and that he loves Garth Brooks. Oh, you really do? Wow, what a yeah, twist. Yeah, he really <laughs> does. And that we put that right into the yeah. movie, and it actually inspired the song at the end of the movie. Amazing. Um, which was not in the script before we started shooting and came out of a conversation we had on set one day. And then I thought, hmm, this feels like our characters. And uh, it went right into the movie. Um, I also loved how there were so many classic or older school rom-com references yeah. weaved through the movie. And I'm interested if, when you were creating it, what parts of rom-coms you wanted to bring into it. And were there any tropes that both of you were just like, no, that is not coming into our movie? I mean, we wanted to nod to elements of rom-coms that we love, but you know, we didn't want it to be a cliche necessarily. And we wanted to stay true to the gay male experience, at least the one that I know. I can't yes. speak for all gay men, obviously, but the experiences of me and patterns of behavior I've, I've observed amongst my gay friends over the years. So it was about finding the right balance between the rom-com moments that we all love, but also doing it in a way that felt authentic for these characters. Yes. I think what felt like when I first read the script, which was so impressive, was in the great rom-coms, you sort of see these two characters. And when two characters are really well drawn, the movie just becomes interesting because you're going to see the way that's all going to play out. Like, you've got male thinking about, like, we feel like we know exactly who these characters are going to be. And, and when you kind of almost know what's going to happen when the scenes play out and then you get surprised. Mm -hmm. Whenever I talk to filmmakers and actors who have made a film that's very different to what else is at the box office because mm. we have a stream of movies coming out all the time that are very much the same and this being the first big studio movie with the same sex love story, do you feel the pressure that it had to be all things to all people, that there's an extra layer on it when at the end of the day I know that you're just also trying to tell mm -hmm. a story and give people a great experience at the movies? Yeah, I mean we never sat down and said this will be a scene for gay people and this is a scene for straight people you know we just we just wanted to write an honest funny movie yes. you know i just kept thinking okay what would happen next in real life what's a funny version of what would happen next and we wanted to keep it authentic and that's really all we focused on you know we didn't focus it on making it for one audience or all audiences we just thought if we tell a funny truthful story as long as the storytelling is clear to everyone straight people gay people that then the movie would work and that's what we focused on and what was it like doing those exterior shots in new york because obviously that's a huge part of rom-coms and you had so many iconic spots there and yeah. so much of the city felt like another character in the yeah. movie what was yeah. that like it was really important. I mean, I grew up watching all those great romantic comedies that are based in New York when Harry Met Sally and Annie Hall and Moonstruck right. and Working Girl and a million movies like that. And also, I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in New York. It's a big part of a lot of my work, probably my best work. And um, I always find the city to be beautiful and inspiring. And it's obviously a mecca for LGBTQ people. Yes. So <laughs> it made sense that we shot there. And I'm really lucky that we got to shoot there. I moved to New York City when I was like 19 years old. Right. And like that was the place where like dreams happened for you, where I could finally live to be a gay man. And I actually went to school right around where we were filming all the things. So I was having that beautiful, your life has been fulfilled in the sense that you, you're right back where it began or right back where your biggest dreams happened. So. New York City is the best. Oh, mm -hmm. that's incredible to hear. Yeah. And um, I know there was probably so many memorable moments from, you know, the dancing on the beach scene and the big moments in the restaurant with the parents and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But when you look back to those days of filming, is there a particular scene that stands out to either of you as very memorable or very important? 
I really do like the scenes where we're just walking around talking, like those walk and talk scenes in Manhattan, because for so many years we watched rom-coms that, you know, featured that sort of a thing, but was always about a straight couple. And some of them I love, but the fact that we got to do it in like a beautifully set up shot outside of Central Park on the Upper West Side, but to in a movie that centered a gay male couple, I that felt special to me. Yeah, we also were lucky enough to go up to Provincetown, which people may not be familiar with here, Mm -hmm. but it's this beautiful sort of beach kind of enclave. And uh, that was pretty special. It's always Mm -hmm. wonderful to get to film in very specific places because they just inform the way you feel. Yeah, and Provincetown has a very rich LGBTQ history culturally, but hasn't been featured really in a a major film. And I've always loved going there. Yeah, Amazing. Well, congratulations again. It was just such a wonderful movie experience and I can't wait for everyone else in Australia to see it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. So Bros is out in Australian cinemas now. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. We've made it to Friday. I hope everyone has a great weekend, lots of good films to watch, and also new Rihanna. That feels important to mention once again. This episode of The Spill was produced by Laura Brodnick and Gia Moylan with audio production by Rhiannon Mooney. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au and on The Spill Insta. Bye! (laughs) 